Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we are real people talking about real things, child abuse and neglect, a topic that is all too often left in the shadows of silence, leaving survivors alone, fearful, and oftentimes without a voice. We're having conversations to become louder than silence. It is here where we will invite you to join us and be the change needed to end child abuse and neglect. This podcast is brought to you by our dear friends at the Conference Experience. The folks at the Conference Experience have really helped us out at EndCAN um, here for the last year and a half. They do incredible work, especially during COVID. They have really stepped up to the plate and helped us out. So if you're needing any audiovisual production or even um, support and help with running an event, please give the Conference Experience a call. Their number is 720-373-3273, or you can also check them out at theconferenceexperience.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Lori Poland, and I am the Executive Director of the National Foundation to End Child Abuse and Neglect. And today you are joining us for the Louder Than Silence podcast. And it is a really, really, really cool day to be recording this podcast just because of our guest today. Her name is Allie Watt, and Allie and I met a number of years ago, and um, I, I, I know it's mutual, but I feel like it's not. I feel like it's so imbalanced with how much of an impact Allie has had on my life, and I mean, she, you can't be in a conversation with Allie and not walk away pumped up. I mean, it's just not even possible. And that is why I'm super excited that you're here. And Allie sits on the board at EndCAN, pretty much every board meeting, every committee meeting, every meeting ever. I'm like on the side texting Allie saying, hey, will you say something about this? Will you say? Because when Allie speaks, people listen. She's, she just dominates the world. And, and Allie is a true example of being a transcender. She is um, just a remarkable human being. So that was a really loaded intro, but welcome Allie Watts. Thanks, Lori. No, that was, wow, that was an intro for sure. Um, hopefully, you know, people will find this conversation engaging and wonderful. And yes, the feeling is very mutual. I'm sure for everybody that's heard Lori talk, it's pretty hard to not feel empathy and compassion in this move to, I don't really want this to happen ever again. And I would say that's that's a similar message and bond that we both have, um, that we want this world to be a little more empathetic, a little less abusive, and a little more inspired. And I think that's what we we aim to do in all of our ventures that we work on together. So I'm happy to For be sure. here. Great. Well, we're happy to have you. And so, Allie, um, you know, I think you are a perfect example of somebody that is louder than silence. And you know, I really want to clarify to our listeners that being louder than silence does not necessarily mean speaking up and sharing your story and outing yourself in that way. It, it just means being louder than silence, mm-hmm. which that that is such a different, like such a huge sound wave, right? 
And and yet Ali is somebody that stands kind of at the, the top of the cliff and is okay with sharing her experience and story. And 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 that makes her brave and courageous, but it doesn't make anybody else less brave and courageous either. And, and so that's what's so beautiful about it. But you have this capacity, Ali, to to share your experience with people and um there's so many, so many, so many people that have a similar story to yours. And, you know, I'd love if you'd be open to it, I'd love for our listeners to kind of hear your why and what what makes you tick behind this topic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, as you hit on, I'm I'm a survivor myself. I've been kind of in the advocacy field since I was 16, I disclosed my abuse. Um, when I was 12, I was being abused by my cousin, um, for many years as a child. And, uh, it just really struck me the power of having people believe you. I would say the core of my why is that I just really wanted every survivor, no matter what to be believed. And yeah. cause that's what I got. I mean, I say it all the time when I share my story that the trajectory of who I am today changes a lot. If that first person I talked to was like, oh, it's not that bad. I don't think that's a thing, you know, suck it up and move on. But that mm-hmm. wasn't what I got. I got, this is a big deal. We're going to do something about it and I'm going to help you. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it wasn't even about having the right answer. And that really struck me in that if I can go through and sort of teach that lesson to people that like, you don't have to be a superhero. You don't have to be more than exactly what you are and just advocate for people. And that advocation can be for yourself or for somebody else. It doesn't, you know, like you said, it's not about being at the top of your, of the cliff and jumping off. If you're not ready to share your story, if you're not ready to disclose that, but if I can help create a world where no matter the person you choose to say that to is going to believe you that jumping is going to feel more like you just kind of jumped off of the sidewalk, not into the Grand Canyon. And (laughs) that's, you know, why I share my story as much as I do. And as often as I do, not really because of the lessons I personally learned in my abuse, but because of the shadows of behaviors of other people along my journey. And I think that's what makes it relatable. When I talk about the different roles that people played, every person can look at that and say, oh, I relate to that. Maybe it is the survivor side of me. Maybe it's the advocate side of me. Maybe it's the nonprofit side of me. Maybe it's the, my parents role in it, maybe whatever it might be. But I think the power of story is that we all relate to different characters. And I want everybody to hear the full weight of my story, just so that they can relate to something at some point along the way. Um, So that's why I share. Ali, were, were you intentional when you did speak out? Were you intentional on who you went to first? For sure. Yeah. So I, uh, I went to a school counselor actually was the first person. I mean, I had disclosed to some friends, um, but you know, we were in middle school and we didn't know what anything I was saying even, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. besides that, that wasn't happening to anybody else, you know, that had kind of clued me in, um, like, Oh, so this isn't what you do in your family. Interesting. So I had been, I had a friend that was, um, cutting himself. And so I had known and learned through that experience, the mandatory reporting that counselors and teachers held. 
And I really liked that. I knew I wanted to tell somebody that would be kind of forced to do something. And I told Mr. Shu was his name. And it was the end of the day. And I went into his office and I said, look, this is, I'm being abused and it's by my cousin. And I know that you're a mandatory reporter, um, but I just need your help on how to tell my parents. That was, you know, my next step was I just need some advice. I didn't really know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was really, really scared. And, but I also wanted the reassurance of like, this isn't going to live in silence. Like the moment I decided to talk, I wanted to make sure that it was going to be heard. And that was my intentionality of, of who I chose to say my story to first. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's so powerful. And um, you have grown up being an advocate. I mean, from your early teens, you started advocating and speaking out and, you know, even when the odds were against you and even when people were like, you need to stop. And even when people said you're ruining our family and even when people were, you know, accusing you of making it up or whatever it is, right? Like whether that's your story or 10 million other people's story, that those are the things that happen, right? When we, sometimes when we talk about, a lot of times when we talk about this. And so you grew up being an advocate and then, and, and, and knowing that you have, you have this charge about you, this charge to like, watch me, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's a little, it's the, I have this shirt that says underestimate me. That'll be fun. And I, I like, you need that shirt too, because it's yeah. like so fitting for who you are, but tell our listeners about what you've chosen to do with your life. And, and kind of like, what, what was your career? What's your career path look like? Yeah. So, um, I mean, like you said, I've been an advocate, you know, since I was 16, which which started off as just kind of babysitting kids that have been abused while their parents were in group therapy. And I think that that moment was a really big moment for me in realizing that everyone in impacted by your story needs support, needs community, needs to know that this isn't so weird and gross. And that happens to so many people. Mm-hmm. And that kind of became like the heartbeat of my life that yeah. I wanted to normalize this. I wanted it to be as easy, you know, I, at the very beginning before I, um, and I'll get to how I started a nonprofit was my dream or what I would say is like, I just want this to be like bar talk. I want mm-hmm. us to be like sitting around. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm a survivor. And people are like, Oh, that's really interesting. Tell me about that. And it would just be this casual thing that happened because I didn't want the weight and the guilt to exist inside of me forever. I wanted to feel as normal as any of my other identities that I own. And mm-hmm. so that kind of charged me to talking about it all the time. I was just convinced that if I talked about it all the time, then people would, it would normalize it. It would normalize it for the people in my life. It would normalize it for me. And every time I shared my story, somebody would come into the conversation and say, I'm also a survivor. That also happened to me. I didn't know it. And I was listening to you and now I know, and now I know that what happened was wrong. And it was, I mean, maybe not hundred percent of the time, but 95% of the time. And I was like, got it. We're not talking about this in reality. We need to talk about this more. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I went to college at Colorado State University and I was hired to work on the interpersonal violence prevention uh, division inside of the student government. 
And it was basically like, okay, now you have to stop sexual assault on CSU's campus. And I was like, cool, that's super easy. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) You 18 year old, you. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, I, I had wanted to do something more than just having the typical speaker come or showing a video. I wanted something interactive. I wanted to immerse people in stories, just like I had experienced my whole life in telling my own. So I decided to create an interactive exhibit that showcased the stories of survivors and we recreated the settings of where their abuse took place. And after I did that, it was really, it was a successful program at CSU. We won the program of the year. It was just seen as something that just didn't exist in the survivor space, which felt very strange to me that this immersive experience that is so prominent that one in four people are experiencing these crimes and yet we don't have something to talk about it, to relate to. Right. So when I graduated, um, I decided I was going to make that program into a nonprofit. And I started a nonprofit very aptly fit in everything we're talking about, which is called Breaking Silence. Um, And that was exactly the premise. We go around to college campuses and we showcase this exhibit and students walk through and they hear the stories of survivors um, as well as sex offenders. There's one big key of our story or our journey as a nonprofit is that We believe that empathy derives from survivors sharing their stories and prevention derives from sex offenders sharing their stories and that we need both and they need to live together and simultaneously so that people at the end of the exhibit feel like, okay, I don't want that to ever happen to me. And now I understand why it does. And now I understand how I can stop it. Um, So it's empathy to change is kind of our model. Um, And I've been the executive director of Breaking Silence for about eight years. Wow. Okay, so I wrote down, I want this to be as normal as any other identity I own. Like, that's a quote that I'm going to put everywhere. And um, <laughs> and I like, can I, can I have that quote? I'll totally um, give you all credit for it. But that's great. Take it. Huge. I mean, and that's the thing. Every time I talk to you, I'm like, why do I make that? I mean, you, I, that's, that sounds really good on a podcast, right? Those are <laughs> sound effects, but it's true. Like you blow my mind, Allie. So let's talk about sex offenders. Nobody wants to talk about sex offenders and no. everybody hates sex offenders, right? Like the worst thing in the world that you can possibly be is a sex offender. There isn't anybody ever that can get behind and get okay with an adult hurting a child in a sexual way. Just doesn't, but it happens every freaking day. I mean, we're watching thousands of children, even during COVID, these busts of these sex trafficking things that are everywhere, just happening everywhere. So let's talk about sex offenders because well, yeah, I mean, going through your exhibit, I, I, I had a turn in grad school when I took a diversity class. The, the assignment was you have to volunteer for like 40 hours working with a population that you would never want to work with. And I was like, oh, that's, I mean, SOs all day long. I, I wanted to put every sex offender on an island, let them hurt each other. That's what I believed before I took that, did that assignment. And then I went and worked at a sex offender treatment place. And I was like, these people are survivors first. Right. They, they first, 
started as victims. Mm-hmm. They took a hard left. I took a hard right. Why? What's the difference? They, right. You know what I mean? Like, wow. So I want to hear your words about sex offenders. Yeah. I mean, I think I was a lot like you. Um, and also like our, our experiences tell us our reality. So my reality was that my sex offender was a piece of shit. <laughs> I don't know if I can curse on here. Um, yeah. but, uh, it's, uh, you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> okay. great. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. And so I had put him in the category of all sex offenders that if, yeah. if mine can't grow and change, then none of them can, it's impossible. It's a disease and you're never going to change. You're never going to be any different. And I have a board member that's a sex offender therapist. And I intentionally put her on the board of breaking silence because I wanted to be challenged. I wanted my goal was to not feel comfortable. My goal was to end sexual and domestic violence. And I'm not going to do that by feeling comfortable. And if my whole board was survivors and people that agreed with everything I was saying, right. we would never get anywhere. Right. So Tanya was like, you need to work. You need, you need to meet some of these people. And I think your story is strong and I want you to come talk to them. I want you to do some victim impact. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, let's do it. And nothing is harder or more terrifying than sharing your story to a bunch of sex offenders. Yeah. yeah. Um, My first time was really scary. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's vulnerable. (laughs) It's like next level. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. And and there isn't anybody in your life that's like, oh, that's great. (laughs) 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 My first time I went up to Fort Collins and there was like 180 men in the room. I think there were two women and uh, there isn't one person that I told that was like, great. Oh my gosh. What are these? Everybody was like, you are, I do need help. How do we stop? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah. Say more. Yeah. So I think just like that experience of, of sort of like what felt like walking into the lion's den was like, okay. But like you, what I learned and heard and, and saw, I guess more than anything was like sitting in that room was like, I just felt how much hurt there was and how deeply silenced they were. And I was like, okay, there's a thing here. There's, there's something going on for these people that is so much deeper than I could have ever understood. Mm And, and it kind of struck me and you and I say this all the time that, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And it was a room full of hurt people that had hurt people. And I was like, this is the, this is it. This is the cycle. This is what we're stuck in right now. This Mm -hmm. is why this is going on over and over again. And I dug deeper. I got to know one of the SOs very deeply and um, he was just such an incredible spirit. He had done more work on himself than I think any human being, myself included, had done on himself. I mean, SOs has to go with a therapy three times a week. They- it's yeah. deep. The work is deep and it's intense. I mean, to be asked on a regular basis, let's talk about the worst thing you've ever done in worst, your entire right. life. And the worst thing that the worst things that have ever happened to you in your right. entire life. They're like looking at the same time. Yeah. They're looking at their, their victim stance and their perpetration. And it's, it's man, it's hard work. Yeah. It's such hard work. And the it's isolation work. and the loneliness, you know, and not all of them are re- rehabilitated. Not at all. Right. But there are some that, that do like really, truly get so much out of that. Like the, like the guy that, 
did your is part of your exhibit you know yeah I, it's I part of our exhibit. yeah yeah tell us about that yeah I mean obviously working with an SO and writing their story was a brand new experience for me I had worked with victims um, but it was the same process he was afraid he was vulnerable certain elements of his story really hurt him continue to hurt him you can feel it you can hear it in in the recording and I think the most compelling element of his story was how he says that for the longest time, he felt like a monster, which mm -hmm. meant he did monstrous things. Mm -hmm. And it was about shifting his mind frame from I'm a monster to I'm a human. And I think that is the most, I don't know, it, it pulls my heart into a million pieces just to think of any human being that looks at themselves in the mirror and is like, I'm a monster. I'm despicable. Mm -hmm. I'm the worst version of human. I just can't ever, I don't want any person to feel that pain. Agreed. And of course that led to more pain for more people. And it doesn't excuse his actions. Don't right. misunderstand what yes. I'm saying, yep. but it does speak to when you take responsibility as weird and as ironic as that feels, you feel less monstrous and more human yeah. because it's human to admit our mistakes. It's human to learn and grow it's not human to decide to ignore and push away and hide. That's not what we're built to do. And so um, working with him changed me. It helped me heal my own story. It helped me grow as a survivor, as a leader um, in every way imaginable. And again, my goal wasn't to feel comfortable. My goal was to end sexual assault, domestic violence. And that meant doing hard work for myself and doing hard work with others. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we've, we've only just begun this conversation with Allie. This is <clears throat> her first podcast of many. It is. So um, I've, I've uh, voluntold her <laughs> right now live on the air, um, that that's what's happening in the future. Because I I know people, people need to hear your words, Allie, you have such a way of putting things in a non-judgmental, in a shame-free, compassionate way. Um, and it's beautiful. It's great to hear you. It's great to have you. I thank you so much for joining us. This is Allie Watt with Breaking Silence. She's the executive director of it. Breaking Silence does a lot of work with EndCan. We'll be putting together, we're, we are putting together a march um, to collectively bring together anybody and everybody that's been impacted by child abuse and neglect. That's not just victims, but that's friends of cousins of neighbors of strangers of everybody, because everybody. all of us are impacted by this. And we just know that we just know that. And the only way that this is going to change is if we do for child abuse and neglect, what we've done with heart disease and diabetes and, you know, cancer and prematurity and all of those things that may not be ameliorated yet, but are certainly well on their way to being better. And they are significantly better than they were 50 years ago. And we need to do the same thing here. So ladies mm -hmm. and gentlemen, thank you again for joining us. I'm Lori Pullen with uh, the Louder Than Silence podcast. Allie, thanks for being with us. You are amazing. And we'll be hearing from Allie soon. You all have a great day. Take care. 
I want to thank each of you again for joining us today and listening in. If you or someone you know is being abused, please call 1-800-4-A-CHILD. To learn more about ENDCAN, visit www.endcan.org or find us on all social media platforms. Join us in being louder than silence and being a part of the change. Please leave a comment, like our podcast, or share with your friends. The more the word spreads, the more of a collective impact we can have. If you have a question or you know someone who would want to be a guest on our podcast, please contact be the change at endcan.org. Thanks again and have a great day.